Good morning. We are so very glad to have you with us this morning. Thank you for being here, and especially if you're visiting with us, it's our special blessing to have you with us. Thank you so much for being here, and uh, we hope to see you again. We hope to, our, our goal is to treat you well and make you feel welcome, and most importantly, help you be able to worship Christ and know Christ if that is your need. And so we're so thankful to be together this morning, to have the opportunity to uh, worship God, to study his word, and to see one another. This morning, we continue in our uh, <clears throat> one-word study that we've been studying on Sunday mornings this all year, and uh, we're coming to a close on that study one more week after this, and this morning, we are going to look at the word Christ, the word Christ, and as with most of the words in this one-word study, you can't hardly do them justice in one sermon. Uh, but what we're going to do this morning is zero in on this word Christ in Isaiah chapter 53. So if you would, go with me to the Old Testament book of Isaiah chapter 53. Now, it's interesting that Isaiah, we, we don't think of this probably, that Isaiah is vital to our salvation. What Isaiah is about, what he writes about, the words that he says are vital to our salvation. Some have respectfully called Isaiah the fifth gospel. And you may not realize how much of Isaiah is about actually the gospel of Jesus the Christ. And it describes the Christ, it describes Christ and his church so clearly that you wonder if Isaiah is composing a history of what's already happened instead of a prophecy of what's to come. That's how Isaiah writes his letter. And so let's go to our first uh, portion, our first point in the bulletin. You can follow along in the bulletin and look at verses 1 through 3. And let's look at how Isaiah writes that we saw Jesus, okay? We're going to get through the chapter, but what does he say at first? How we saw Jesus. Now, this wasn't us physically there back then, but he's, 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 he's uh, going to get at, it's going to apply to all of us. So let's read those verses. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And who has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows and acquainted with much grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. The sense of the first question Isaiah asks is who among us, talking about the Israelites, the Jewish people, God's people, who among us has believed this message we've heard about Jesus? The message was that gospel, that good news of Jesus. Now, realize we're, we're way back in the Old Testament and Isaiah's prophesying this, and it sounds like it's already happened. But the prophecies that they knew even at that time, pointing to the Messiah, about the Messiah, were, were, were already, he was saying, you're already not believing them, and, and, and we're going to see more about that as we move along. So this word Christ, just to 
get a, uh, a grasp of the word. The word Christ comes from a Greek word, which is a translated word from the Hebrew word for Messiah. The literal English translation for both the Greek and Hebrew is uh, the anointed one. And so to say Jesus Christ or Jesus the Christ, you are saying Jesus the anointed one or Jesus the Messiah. And so as we said, who, who is Isaiah talking to? He's talking to the Israelites, the people of God, the Jewish people at that time, and they have not yet believed that Jesus was the Messiah. They don't believe that he is the promised one, the anointed one, the Christ. And when he says the arm of the Lord, he's talking about that power and that work of God that they had seen time and time again. And even with the arm of the Lord at work uh, among them, they had still not believed what he was saying about the prophecies about the Messiah. So look at verses 2 and 3. And Isaiah says, this is how we have seen Jesus, and this is what we have thought of him. Now, Isaiah is talking about God's people, Jewish people, way back then. But we have to ask ourselves, do we not, or was there a time when we saw Jesus the same way? It, are there people who see Jesus in the same way today? Let's see what he says. He mentions that he was a young plant, or your translation might say a tender shoot. In other words, Jesus' birth, the circumstances of his birth, his family, uh, they were all nothing impressive. Nothing impressive at all. Few even noticed or recognized who Jesus actually was when he was born. And this, this word for young plant here refers to a sucker branch, a useless, uncultivated, unwanted, parasitic shoot off the main plant, which is uh, removed so it doesn't drain resources from the main branches. And he, Isaiah is saying, that's how you saw Jesus. And the point is that, that most people, to most people, Jesus' beginning seemed irrelevant, insignificant, and totally unpromising. He was certainly not someone uh, they could imagine being the Christ, the Messiah that was promised in scripture. His parents were just common people. His first cradle was an animal feeding trough. His hometown of Nazareth was nothing significant. In fact, some even uh, some historians uh, uh, way back even wondered if it really existed. Of course it did. And, and Jesus the Christ, see, he lived there for 30 years unknown. Because he worked as a carpenter before he started his public ministry. Nothing at all about Jesus gave the impression to anyone in that day that he could possibly be that promised, conquering, triumphant Messiah that they were waiting on. And that's how they saw him. And that is oftentimes how he's seen even today. Now, when, when, when Isaiah writes that he was a root out of dry ground, he's saying a similar thing to the, 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 the words, a young plant. And Isaiah uses this word here to mean a root in a parched wilderness uh, portion of the earth. It describes a sapling on, uh, uh, that has uh, someone purposely, uh, with no purpose, planted and no one cares about. 
The word can also refer to a parched, dry root sticking up out of the ground that someone might trip on. That's how they saw Jesus. And even that uh, his, his appearance was one that uh, he was somebody who was unwanted, unimpressive, uncared for, somebody to be avoided. The very thought that Jesus was this Messiah and he was a, and, and he was a nobody and their Messiah was a nobody was ludicrous to them. Jesus was nothing special to look at according to Isaiah's words. He wasn't royalty. He wasn't the most attractive. He didn't have the latest fashion. Uh, he wasn't into selfies. And some have even said that this is a reference to his appearance after uh, his torture as a part of the crucifixion. We don't know that for certain, but it may very well could have been. Isaiah says that he was also despised. Now this is an expression of disdain and contempt. The Israelites saw him this way all the way up to the crucifixion, and, the, and some people still despise Jesus today. Now when, he said, when Isaiah writes that we esteemed him not, esteemed there is actually an accounting phrase, an accounting word. And here it means that they wrongfully reckoned Jesus to be nobody. They wrongfully reckoned him. And, and that from their perspective, uh, Jesus being the Messiah just simply didn't add up. That's what that means. Nothing in all of this passage, uh, notice that in all this passage, Isaiah is writing in the past tense, isn't he? You notice that? Everything he says is in the past tense because he's looking, as one of God's prophets, he's looking past the cross, ahead in the future, past the cross, past the resurrection, to the point where then people realized who Jesus was, that yes, in fact, he was the promised Messiah. He is the Christ. And now we realize it. And he's trying to point that out way back there then by looking beyond at that time. Now, the cruci uh, crucifixion wasn't even invented at that time. So he didn't, uh, so you notice in the words that he's going to use aren't about crucifixion, but he uses powerful words that even describe what Jesus went through uh, during the crucifixion. So let's look at what Jesus did for us in verses 4 through 6. Look at verses 4 through 6. Surely he has borne our griefs and, and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. Look at verse number 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So in these next verses, Jesus, uh, uh, Isaiah moves from the way we thought about Jesus to what Jesus did for us. Now, he's still speaking in the past tense, and he continues to do that because of the point he's trying to make. So look at what Jesus did for us. He bore our griefs and sorrows. He was pierced for us. He was crushed for us. He was punished for us. He was wounded for us. And, 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 and now uh, Isaiah says, but we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. What does that mean? 
That means that when they saw what Jesus was going through, remember he's thinking, he's looking ahead in the future. When people saw what Jesus was going through, the crucifixion, the torture and the crucifixion, it was, they, they believed that it was because of his sin. In other words, God was punishing him because of his sin. That's the way people saw that, that didn't believe. God is doing this to him. Now, Isaiah says God was doing this to him. But it wasn't because of his own sin. It wasn't because of anything he had done. Look at verse number 5. And what's the first word you see there in verse number 5? But. So here's what happened to him. Here's how we saw him. Here's what you thought was happening when when, uh, he was tortured and when he was crucified. But, verse 5 says... He was wounded for what? Our transgressions. He was crushed for what? Our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement or the punishment that brought us peace. And with his wounds or stripes from the beatings that he received, you are, we are healed. That's amazing that he went through that for us. Now, look, look at... Uh, who did look at verse number six because Isaiah tells us who did Jesus do all this for verse number six all we like sheep have gone astray we have turned everyone to his own way and then we see the Lord has laid on him you see that the Lord has laid on him the what the iniquity of us all All of us went away. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's what that means when Isaiah writes that. And in order to save us, God had to lay on him the full weight of all sin, all punishment, every bit of it, so that we could have a chance to be saved if we would turn to God. Not only did Jesus physically go through such terrible things, in addition to that, it was God who was a part of their plan to save us Laid on Jesus, his son. Think about that. He had to lay this on his son, all of our sins, because, and and now, not, not just because, but while we were sheep gone astray. You see that? We weren't even turned to him yet, and he did it for us, and we didn't even believe in him yet, because while it was happening, we thought he was getting that for his own punishment, that he caused it, that he's to blame. And in verse 5, Isaiah writes, Upon him was the chastisement, the punishment that did what? Brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. So look at the suffering. Let's look at verses 7 through 9. The suffering and death of Jesus. See, Jesus, like the perfect sinless lamb that he was, went to the cross without making a sound. He didn't put up a fight. He didn't fuss. He went to the cross. Nobody would do that. And, and, and Isaiah writes that he was oppressed and judged. There was oppression and judgment. Now, these are two legal words that Isaiah uses here. Oppression refers to the injustice and the suffering that Jesus endured during his arrest and his trials, all of which were illegal. And Isaiah is talking about that. 
when he writes those words. When he uses the word judgment, he's referring to every phase of the trials that Jesus went through. The oppression and judgment. It was illegal, it was unfair, it was unjust, and Jesus walked through it as a quiet lamb, that sacrificial lamb. Now why on earth would he do that? Because it says that he was, uh, see it says that he was taken away, he was cut off from the living, and that means he was killed, he was murdered, he was put to death. But look at verse number 8. Why was he treated this way? The end of verse number 8 tells us. He was stricken for the transgressions of his people. Do you see that? That's why he did it. For the transgressions of his people. Now, look at verses, number 10, uh, verses 10 through 12. The victory of Jesus and in Jesus. Now, when we think of Jesus going to the cross, we think of the people involved who were physically there. We've maybe seen movies about the crucifixion, and, and we think of those people that did that. And, and then we'll even go to say that, yes, in my sins too, it was our sins that put him there. And that's what we think about. And those things are absolutely true. But there's even more to it as we've already hit on. Look at verses 10, 10 through 12. Yet it was what? The will of the Lord to crush him. Do you see that? He has put him to grief. When his soul uh, makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall a righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Verse 12, Therefore I will divide with him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. And yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the, trans, uh, for the transgressors. How on earth is it possible that it was the will of the Lord, or as some translations say, it pleased the Lord to crush him? His own son. That just, does, that just, that just doesn't compute for us. And that's what Isaiah said God is doing with Jesus for us. But what pleased him wasn't what he had to go through. What, what pleased him uh, wasn't what he had to suffer. It wasn't the pain. that He didn't want to see his son go through that. But why was it his will that he went through that? It's because both God and Christ knew the outcome. They knew what this was all about. And they could see ahead to the outcome of what this would accomplish. And that's what it was about. Look at John, 1 John chapter 4. And verse number 10, in this is love. See, someone will say, that's not loving for God to do that. But let's listen to what God says about it. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. We studied that word this year. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake, you see that? 
For our sake, God made him, Christ, to be sin, who had what? No sin. Why? So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now look at 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also... Here's why he did it. We've already been seeing why he did it. Look at what Peter writes. 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, for the righteous... Uh, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? That he might bring us to God. Because our sin separated us from God. He did this to bring us to God. God's love, not his wrath, is the central point of the cross. The main message, the message of the cross, is God's love for us, Christ's love for us, and that he saved us from his wrath by taking on the wrath himself. And it was only Jesus, that perfect lamb, that, that pure lamb, that sinless lamb, that innocent lamb, that could go to the cross and make that sacrifice. And it was only him who could bear the weight of all of that sin, all those sorrows and griefs and sin. Because sin messes you up, doesn't it? Sin rips you. People's lives to shreds. It rots your life. You know what sin does in your life. You've seen the effects of sin. And he, he didn't just have to deal with your sin. He took all sin on him on the cross. The weight of that. And to know that it was God that had to do it. His own father that had to do that for us. Only Christ could bear that. Now look at Hebrews 12 too. This just almost doesn't make sense. We're going to jump into the sentence here and look what, look what the Hebrew writer says. Who for the joy, you see that? Who for the joy, the joy that was set before him. Talking about Christ. He endured the cross, despising its shame, the shame. And is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus could have joy in going to the cross. Remember, he didn't fight. He didn't fuss. He didn't say anything. When they sent him through all the injustice, the wrong, the oppression and judgment of the trials and the crucifixion, and he didn't say anything. But as we sing, he could have called 10,000 angels, and he walked with his mouth closed all the way through. Why? For the joy that was set before him. One of the emotions he experienced among the, the difficulty, the pain, he sweat uh, drops of blood, but one of the emotions was, was joy. Why? Because Isaiah already addressed it. Because he knew what this was going to accomplish for us. He knew the outcome. He knew the end game. He knew what was going to happen. Now, when he says, when the Hebrew writer says the word despised, what that means is, is that Jesus thought uh, little of, the, of, of everything he had to go through of the cross. Uh, that, that we would have a heart attack on the way to the cross. Because he knew the outcome, the mission this would accomplish, he could even approach it with some joy, with joy, knowing the outcome, and think little of the shame that he was going to experience. 
Because the crucifixion was designed partly to totally shame the person crucified. He knew this was bringing good news and salvation to us. So I just want to ask you this morning where you stand with God. I want to ask you how have you seen God? How do you see God now? Uh, uh, what, do you realize what he's done for you? Not just some thought up here, a quick thought, yeah, 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 he died on the cross. Can you even begin to grasp what he went through and why? It was so important that God saw fit to have a prophet back in those days write about it. And in Isaiah 53, we see the gospel message. Where do you stand with God? Have you wandered from the Christ? Do you recognize him as the Christ? Have you responded to him in the way that Scripture teaches you to? Have you wandered from your relationship and devotion to following the Messiah? In Acts 2, we read about that day when thousands of Jewish people were assembled on that day of Pentecost, and Peter and the other apostles were there, and they started to preach a sermon. And after hearing the sermon... Uh, uh, one of the things that, well, one of the things they said at the end of the sermon in Acts chapter 2, they said, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and what? Christ. Do you see that? This Jesus whom you crucified. Isaiah back then is looking to this point right here, hoping that those people would obey the gospel. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what, what should we do? We've heard the news about Jesus. We, we get it. We're convicted. What shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the remission of your sins. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the, remission, the forgiveness and remission of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What an amazing, amazing a message from Isaiah about the Christ. And I don't know where you stand with Christ today. I don't know where, what your relationship with him is like today. I don't know if you've ever uh, 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 come to him and recognized him as the Christ as we see that they did in Acts chapter 2 and put on Christ in baptism. Or if you once did and you've wandered away. I don't know where, where you stand. But this morning we want you to know here at the Oldham Lane Church of Christ that we're here for you that we care about you, and that we're here to help you in any way that we can in your relationship with God. And if you have any needs this morning that we can help you with, you can let us know at any time, but if this is a good time for you, you can also come forward now as we stand and sing.